I'm just going to start with a story. Uh, it's about when I first became a Christian. And I haven't planned any of this, but I just feel that that I felt a little, or Heidi and I, we just had a prompting of the Holy Spirit last night in our conversation. And you're going to hear stuff, I think, today that you probably might not have ever heard in a church being preached before. Because um, I believe that we're on the brink of revival, but not a revival that we would be, you know, all nice gooey and nice little bumps and isn't God really good and isn't he full of love? He is all those things. But I believe that we're on the brink of a revival that is going to shake the churches. And the church shaking that is coming is going to rock the charismatic church like it's never been rocked before. And I believe that what we will see in this, in this time of revival, where God will start reviving his people. You've heard me say it time and time and time again. For those that know their God will do great exploits and be strong. So I'm talking to the kids and I'm talking to the elders that this is for you. Because when the Maccabees got hold of this, what were they fighting? They were fighting a rebellion of their ways, where their religious leaders and their religious temples and, and, and their synagogues were welcoming in something that was absolutely abhorrent to God. They were welcoming him in, welcoming in the traditions of men and the Greek way of life. That's what they were doing. That's where we get the whole thing of uh, the Maccabees rising up. They didn't fight Antiochus Epiphanes, even though the religious leaders had, had recognized this guy, welcomed him in, and said, train us and teach us the ways of the Greek culture. Let me tell you, nothing's changed. Nothing has changed in church as we know it. We have welcomed in the traditions of men and of women, and all we are doing at the moment is tickling backs. Whereas I sat there at the worship, and I started feeling angry with the things that God was feeling angry about. I started feeling these things rising up in me, saying, that is unrighteous. Lord, make it right. And make it righteous in your eyes. Because he's an angry God. I remember when I became a Christian, this is what happened to me. This was my first experience in the spirit with the Lord. I remember sitting in a vision in a cinema, and I had no idea about visions, dreams, or encounters with the Lord. I had no idea. I was off the streets as a brand new Christian at the age of 28. I had been doing things in the world that nobody should ever, ever have done. But when one man said to me, when I was drunk in a, in, a, in a rugby club, and he said to me, when he told me about this guy called Jesus, and I suddenly realized he actually meant it. That's what really took me aback. He said, Andy, what happens if you're wrong and I'm right? Where does that leave you? I'm going to ask the same question to you. Why are you in your walk with God now? Where are you? Because this is going to come. This is going to happen. You are going to stand before God, before the great white throne, and you will be judged. I won't be standing there with you. Heidi won't be standing there with you playing the piano. And you are going to stand before the living God. And just like John, 
who had laid his head on the chest of Jesus, when Jesus appeared to him in that cave in Patmos, on the Isle of Patmos, John fell down as if dead. Why? Because he saw God in all of his glory and couldn't stand. So I had a vision, brand new Christian. I had asked the Lord to come into my life. And I, my, this is my prayer. I said, God, if you're out there, I need you. I need you. I need you. And I didn't realize until I'd said those words that I needed him. Because most of the time we don't need him. We don't need God. That's how our concept is. That's how our Western mindset is. We don't need God. What do we need God for? But we need him more than we realize. Because this is what happened to me. I found myself sitting in a cinema with the Lord sat by me. And just like this, I was on the front row. And just like this, I saw a screen come down. And Jesus was sitting, he was actually sitting on my right-hand side. But he was sat there. And on the screen came my life. My life. From the minute I was born to that point in my life. And every action and every thought in my mind and everything that I had done was displayed on that screen. And do you know what? I was squirming, saying, God, God, I'm so sorry. Please don't show that. Well, I, I, I didn't know anybody was watching me when I did that. Please don't show me. And he showed me the whole of my life. Every thought that I'd had, every bad and every good, there was, I was naked in everything. And then the, 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 the film of my life finished. And then Jesus says, do you know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to ask everybody that was in that film of your life to come and view it with you. And I went, oh, please, Jesus, don't do that. I was more afraid of what those people would see and the thoughts that would come out of my head than I was of Jesus. But then when I had an experience with the Lord, face-to-face -face experience, and I keep saying, I don't care whether you believe me or not, it happened. When I had a face-to-face -face encounter on two or three occasions with the Lord, do you know what came first? It wasn't this high five, Joshua. Hi, Jesus, my best buddy. Here you are, my best. I love you. I love you. I love you. Oh, Jesus, come and sit in my lap and tell me how much you... It never happened. That never happened to me. Here's what happened. I screamed like a baby. I screamed like a baby, physically. I screamed as loud that you would blast your ears out. I screamed and I cried like a baby. Because when I looked into his eyes, he looked into my eyes. And that's where you'll see the spirit. If you want to know the spirit of somebody, look in their eyes. And Jesus with these crystal blue eyes. You know, when it says those in Psalm 27, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. I mean those words because I've stared into his face. And I've stared into his eyes. Let me tell you, kids, 
You can stare tonight in the eyes of Jesus. How much do you want it? You can know Jesus more than anybody else sat here. How much do you want it? I want it. I'm getting in the queue before you are. Because I'm going after him with everything that I've got. But when he stared into my eyes, he looked into me. And the rays of his stare came out the very pores of my skin. I had beams of light shooting out of my skin. Every part of my body. It just, his beams of light shot out of me. And I knew from that minute he was looking at everything that I'd ever done. Everything. There wasn't a thing that I could, I could hide. Even a thought. And we've all had those thoughts, haven't we? We've all had those thoughts that aren't good. We've all had those thoughts. And you were going to be judged for those thoughts. Have you ever thought about that? You'll be judged for those thoughts. You'll be judged for some of your deeds. But then it changed. And the eyes and the colors of Jesus changed into the most beautiful brown eyes. I can tell you, Jesus isn't that good looking. This whole thing of him having nice, flowery, clean kept, he is scarred. When I look at him, he's a chiseled, hard man. You know, that's the only way I can describe him. But the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. He is the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. Because it says that there will be nothing about his appearance. That's what the Bible says. There'll be nothing about his appearance that will attract us to him. He's got a big nose. He looks very Jewish, because he is Jewish. He's got olive skin. His hair isn't all nice and glowy and all that. But when he looked at me, I saw how much he loved me. And the whole atmosphere changed around me. Instead of this thing of, I'm going to die. I really thought I was going to die. Honestly, I thought I was going to die in the presence of Jesus. And you know what? It would have been okay. But I thought I was going to have a heart attack or I was just going to never breathe again. So I know the fear of the Lord. I know how awesome he is. So when Richard reads out those words about this earth being created by let there be, let there be a word from God, just one word, created all of this created all of this and the devil has tried to dilute that through all the seven church ages with this whole creation theory of evolution and you know what that makes God very angry that makes him extremely angry and that will be judged I read something by Dawkins yesterday I've got to be honest here's my real can I be transparent with you if the guy had been in the room, I would have wanted to put him up against the wall and raise my, and give him the fivefold. You know, I felt so angry of how dare he, how dare he say those things about my God? How dare he just so flippantly just cast it aside? The guy that said, let there be, he is almighty. He is our Jehovah. He is everything to us. He's the beginning and the end. There is nothing that he doesn't know about on this world. And there's a lot of things that he's angry about. God is an angry God. But I've been cleansed by his blood, Josephine. 
Wesley, I've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus like never before. Joshua, I have been wiped and washed clean by the blood of Jesus, but I've never lost the fear of the Lord. Never lost. I can love the Lord and be in sin. Do you know that? You can love the Lord with everything you've got and be in sin. But if you have got the fear of God stepping before you, it makes you think twice. Because I'm the second part of what I'm going to say. I'm just going to, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit that revival breaks out. But do you know what revival will look like? It will bring in two things. The fear of the Lord and purity. The fear of the Lord and purity. And the church know very little about that. Very little about it. It says in Proverbs that, that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. He is awesome. There is nothing that he can't do. And so when the wrath of God falls on this earth, and it will do, oh my word, I don't want to be around. I really don't. I don't want to be around when the wrath of God falls on this earth. But there is now going to be a split in church. I'm telling you now, I'm prophesying this. There is going to be a revival start breaking out where the charismatic people and the all good people are going to reject this next move of God. But it's going to hit a body of people like never before. It's going to turn people's lives upside down, but the right way up. How else are we going to reach these people out here? We can tell them about the love, but if they've never been loved, how can they respond to love? Do you know, I, I heard something just shocked me. Shocked me to the roots at what Heidi was telling me about, about a certain situation. I was shocked. You know, and, and, and these are good people. It's nothing, you know, they're, they're, they're lovely people. But I'm shocked because we've got to be light. We've got to be the love. We've got to be all of these things. But you know what I want? I want to walk into a room and they see Jesus and fall as if dead. Heidi's got a book. She says, do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord. Where it talks about all the revivals that have gone on before. All the revivals. And I didn't pick it up. I know what it's about. You know, it's about all the revivals. So, you know, I love it. I love revival. I just love revival. I, 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 but, but we're due it. But it's going to be coming in a way that is totally different. And do you know where the revival is going to start? In you. And in me. Where we're going to have to make a choice. We're going to have to make a choice of do we want to continue living this way or do we want to be in the perfect will of God? I want to be in the perfect will of God, not the permissive. The permissive won't do. And I love the Lord with all of my heart. I've got my act to clean up. But I want to speak to you after Heidi comes up, you know, and I want to speak to you to, to, to show you, to give you a, a glimpse of what's coming because the old won't do. God is about to pour out a new thing into old wineskins. But those old wineskins are going to have to be renewed because church as we know it is going to finish. Is going to finish. There is going to be a new way. And I sat there or stood there when we were in worship 
And I said, Lord, let your presence fall. And Heidi was saying, Lord, let the stirring of, 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 of you on the waters. And I was saying, no, Lord, bring your storm on those waters. Bring those, that storm of your presence into us. Rock us like we've never been rocked before. Because now is the time not just to love him, but to fear him. To fear the Lord with all that you've got. To fear him. Because guess what, folks? There is a change going to come on the scene. I heard a guy called Jeremy Bowen. I don't know if you follow the news. But there's a guy called Jeremy Bowen who's been the, the foreign correspondent to the BBC for years. He is a man who has been into every awful situation around this world. And he's in there reporting it, about it. And he said something that pricked my ears up right at the beginning of the week. He said, it's almost like describing the events that we're seeing in Syria. He turned around and he said, it's like we're about to see or seeing a mini world war happen, happening right before our eyes. And I went, oh, wow, the BBC have finally got it. There is going to be a world war. war. There is going to be a world war. There is going to be World War Three, folks. But why? Why are these things going to happen? And if anybody's got any questions, you know, you can ask a question um, at the end. If you've got a question about these things. But there will be a third world war. I'm not saying this to frighten you. Because this is part of the judgment of God. This is about the judgment of God turning a world back to his heart. And a people back to his heart. It's going to be the Gentiles and the Jews. But the Jews are going to be turned where two-thirds of all Jews around the world will lose their lives. You should be praying for that. We should be praying for that. And it says that the final third, this is all, you can go and read it in Zechariah. Go and read it. It says that the last third will come through the fire. They'll be purified through the fire. That's every Jew. Now, I had a dream last night that was so demonic that I can't repeat it. I really can't repeat what the Lord is showing me is happening in the spirit. And I'm not saying this to frighten anybody, but it should sober us up. Because it says in Matthew that there will be two harvests that grow into maturity at the same time, the wheat and the tares, Matthew 13. It's talking about the end of the age. So just as we as sons of God, his special ones, the ones that will go through all of this and not taste death, and I've proved that through scripture, we will go through this, and a thousand may fall on my left, ten thousand at my right, but it will not touch my house. You can either believe that or you don't. I choose to believe it. I choose to believe God at his literal word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's my faith. That's his faith. He hears the word. Jesus is the word. He is the living word. But when this starts coming, you've got to realize why it's coming. And I will name it. I'm not going to hide behind a pulpit. I'm not going to hide behind, you know, 
these nice gentle words, I'm going to start calling it out as I see it. Because I want to stand before the Lord and know that I've warned the people. And it might need, you know, I'll, I'm, go I'm going to be hated for it. But the Bible tells me I'm going to be hated for it. But they're not going to hate me. They are going to hate me. They're going to hate Jesus. They're going to reject him. But the charismatic church is going to be shaken now. And it's going to be split. And if you want my opinion, I've got one of two things that I believe that the harlot is. I believe the harlot could be, in Revelation, could be the false church. Because there is going to be a true church and a false church. Just as there is going to be a true God and an anti. So who is the harlot on the beast? There's a bit of homework. Go and have a look at that. The harlot and, when, and the rejoicing in heaven three times. The, the prostitute, the harlot of Babylon is dead. Three times it's said. There's rejoicing. And I believe it's a system. I don't believe it's a person. I believe it's a system. And what's going to come against us when this thing hits us? Most of the church are going to reject it. But it's our job to equip and train the saints for the greater works. For the greater works. For the things of God that was going to rock the church. There are things that we will start doing that are going to rock the church and it will be done out of an act of kindness and an act of love. Shatsi. When it was talking about a mini World War, World War III, the maybe the day after I was watching a video of the uh, Hiroshima bomb exploding, and I was looking at somebody saying in the comments that, I'm, I'm, I, I hope this will never happen again. And then somebody replied to that saying, World War Three is most likely to happen. It's just when it will happen. Wow, I feel like, I feel like there's some skittles <laughs> at the end of the alley. It's like, bowl all the skittles down. <laughs> Coming out two barrels. Um, I think... Just going on from what Andy was saying, um, one of the things that the Lord's been really speaking to me about, grown-ups, adults, children alike, is that Andy's mentioned a few times God's angry, and we don't normally talk, we don't normally use those words here, actually, and which actually you don't hear in many churches at all because none of us like to think about the wrath of God. But I just want to clarify something, because God is angry at wickedness. He is angry at injustice. He is angry at the opposite of righteousness. He is angry when people are abused, when they are downtrodden. He is angry because he's angry against those things that are against his nature. So we know that God is love. He doesn't have love. He isn't loving. He is love. He is love. He is light. So anything that comes against the nature of his beautiful character demands to be treated. It needs to be dealt with. 
So kids, when Andy's saying God is angry, God is angry at wickedness. He is angry at, at what sin does to people. He hates sin because it pulls them into the enemy's camp. So if you imagine, it's all about who are you friends with. Who are your friends? You don't have to answer me out loud. But who are your friends? Because when we love the Lord God, we want to and need to be friends with those that he is friends with. We need to be enemies with God's enemies. So Joshua, we take Kumba for a walk in the woods. If you, if you know that there's a dog that hates Kumba, that's our dog, and constantly wants to attack him, would you say, oh, come on, dog, come for a walk with Kumba, knowing full well that that dog would attack Kumba all the time? Would you? That would be a stupid thing to do. It wouldn't be loving, would it? So that's what it's like. God wants us to be friends with his friends. So when we talk about God is angry, what Andy's saying is absolutely true. The en- God is angry at the enemy, angry at wickedness. The question is, where do we align ourselves? And I know this is all very basic for you all. But actually what it does is it stirs within me, my prayer life changes because I become aware that I don't want to love what God hates. So what, can we think of an example of something that God loves? Anybody, hands up. Righteousness. Anything else? What does God love or who does God love? He loves Jesus, sorry. Us, he loves us, he loves me, sorry. He loves justice. Guess what's written on the throne of God? Anybody know? What's written? Righteousness and justice. So you see, God is really concerned with the opposite of those things. He's concerned with the lack of righteousness, which is lawlessness and rebellion. And he's really concerned with injustice. So I want to tell you that God is an amazing God and he loves us so very much. So much so that even though the Bible is full of the anger of God will be poured out on the wicked. He wants to make sure that we all, kids, everybody, that we choose to come under his mercy. God does not have a problem with talking about the wrath and about his anger. He doesn't have a problem with the consequences of eternal punishment. He doesn't have a problem with that. We do. We don't like to go there. We don't like to talk about it because we think it's not going to fill our churches. (laughs) It's not going to, as somebody said, it's not going to um, make people want to sign up for uh, the mail shot. The fact is, God doesn't have an issue with eternal punishment on the wicked. Would you have a problem with God eternally punishing Satan? No? I remember my brother, when we were kids, he went through a phase of feeling sorry for Satan. (laughs) Stephen... And he, uh, he just thought, oh, poor, you know, Satan needs to repent. Well, you know what? Satan does not want to repent. And he's gone way past that. He's in absolute deception. Now, the fact is, God has invited us all to step out of judgment. Say this is judgment, which means a place where we are punished according and dealt with according to our sin forever and ever. And we are naturally born in this camp, everybody. We are naturally born into the camp of judgment. But God wants us to step out of that and come under his big umbrella of mercy. 
And that is the beautiful invitation for all of us. And this is the hard truth that we need to actually be prepared to tell people as well. It's, you know, God wants to confirm his word with signs and wonders. Sometimes we don't speak the word. And then we can be surprised when there are no signs and wonders. We need to speak the word of God. We need to really be prepared to say things that may not be popular, especially in liberal life, in the liberal day-to-day -day of politics, and what people want to hear. So my short message, kids, is the invitation is to come under mercy. It says here, I love this, we sometimes sing it, mercy triumphs over judgment, and you delight in showing mercy. I love that. So it says here in Micah, in fact, Andy, I've got a word for you where it talks about the woodland. Mm -hmm. So, Andy, in your bushcraft stuff, it talks here. Um, let me just quickly find it. Uh, here we go. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your heritage who dwells solitarily in a woodland in the midst of Carmel. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in days of old, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt. I will show them wonders. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall, pour, they shall put their hand over their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall crawl from the holes like snakes of the earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of you. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob. And Jacob needed truth because he was a bit of a liar. <laughs> you will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. The beautiful thing is God's mercy is available for us, and it's available. There's something I want to mention. The Lord just dropped into my mind. If you turn to Philippians 4, verse 8. Um, yeah, why not turn there? You know, I learned all the books of the Bible off by heart. The problem is, I still find it difficult to find one... Ch um, find the books because I, f I need to go right from the beginning <laughs> each time <laughs> to find it. And I was like, when will it drop in my mind? No, that's too far back. Thank you. Here we go. I love this. Philippians 4. We do love it, don't we, where it says, do not be anxious about anything. We love all the promises. We love all the things that God says, you know, when Paul writes about identifying with the Lord Jesus, you know, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. <laughs> Hide. <laughs> Who wants to fellowship with his suffering? This is it. But what suffering is it that he's inviting us to fellowship with? Sorry? The, the invitation to the fellowship of his suffering is not, oh God, these, you know, we all imagine great disasters happening to us, don't we? We, we imagine loved ones being taken from us. And this is the prayer, and this is the prophetic word that came out during the conference one evening when we had that evening of, of just of worship. 
where Jesus is saying, will you come with me? Will you come with me and weep about the things that I weep about? Will you come with me and be stirred about the things that stir me? Will you come with me, rejoice with those things that I rejoice, but weep and pray with me for the injustices that are in this world? And that is, that is what it's about. We're invited to fellowship with him in his sufferings. And that puts a totally different slant on, oh no, he's going to take somebody I love. Do you know what I mean? Because that's, okay, is it just me who ever thinks like that? And yet, our joy must be totally in him, regardless of what comes. You know, God forbid that anything should happen to my loved ones, but the joy is in the Lord and in his word. He is forever, and so are my loved ones forever. You know, and I'm, I'm being challenged in that whole thing. I don't think there are many people who perhaps who aren't. Philippians 4 verse 8, it says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, I think that's a really, really important set of verses to live. Well, it's one verse, actually, just verse 8. That we do need to meditate on things that are praiseworthy, that are true, that are whole, that are uplifting, essentially. What we can do sometimes, though, is use that verse to shut our ears, block our eyes, and go, <laughs> because we don't want to face some other truths that the Lord wants us to be aware of. Now, meditate, as when Mark was here, and he taught us how to meditate on the word, didn't he? And it was wonderful. We had an amazing time of intercession as a result of meditating on that one verse, I think it was in Matthew, where it read, um, and Jesus went throughout um, healing the sick, and I can't remember exactly, but it was very simple, very beautiful, and we all got stirred into prayer and intercession, and by the end of it, we were all snorting, and we were crying, and we were just like praying for Sheffield, praying for the Muslims amongst us who don't know Jesus, and praying that the Lord Jesus would reveal himself to them, you know, in their mosques, etc. It was a stirring thing. So meditating on God's word, meditating on him, chewing like a cow, chews, chews the grass, and it goes through how many stomachs? I can't remember. How many stomachs? Three? Three. Um, you know, that's, that's the one thing. But it doesn't say, and don't be aware of anything that's happening around you. God doesn't say, block off from your vision, block off from your ears anything that's happening or anything that doesn't feel nice. Jesus feels the hurt and he feels the pain of all the injustices in this world and in the houses nearby us. You know, it's not just far away in Syria. He feels it and he wants us to feel it with him. He's inviting us to feel it with him. Not so that we just get burdened down, no. So that we pray with him and that his heart be truly becomes our heart. So when it says, you know, that we are going to be, you know, we are um, entwined with him, um, as it says, and that we are um, brought into the vine and we are in Jesus. You know, the, all, the whole prayer of Jesus in John is that we would be one with him just as he is one with the Father. And this, this prayer is the Lord's prayer. You know, he wants that for us. So therefore, surely we should want it. But that implicates the whole side of really connecting with him, 
for the things that stir him. What stirs you, Lord Jesus? And also befriending those things that he loves and hating those things which he hates. For instance, you know, we talked about it a little while ago. Anything like any witchcraft, any all of these are abomination. We shouldn't be enjoying Harry Potter because it's an abomination to God. And I know, you know, God's been speaking to people and they've been reacting really like, yep, get it out. It's, it, we can't be friends with God's enemies. We just can't. So, but I also feel that we need to face some facts. I feel we need to be, we need to be, yeah, sober. And we need to be mature about the consequences that will come upon those people who haven't been told the good news. Why haven't they been told? You know, it's actually going to be on our heads for those people that we know who we haven't told. And if all we, if our continuous attempt to share with them is simply by being nice, that might not be exactly what God's told us to do or say. Now we can, we must, whatever we do, must be compelled out of love. Compelled out of love, not like, you need to know because you're going to burn in hell. We all know that that's not the way to do it. But God wants us to speak the truth. And I think that we've watered down the truth. Church nowadays has certainly focused more on the niceties and the coffee. And, you know, I'd love a real filter coffee here, by the way. But that's not what it's about. <laughs> but we focus, yeah, we, we focus more on these things. We focus on the seeker-friendly side, haven't we? You know, I'm not saying we personally, but, you know, I don't ever want to say we've got it sorted and the others haven't. You know, I never, whenever I, I read the word or the Lord, I hear, t you know, testimonies or, or sermons and things, I always look inward. I think, Lord, I want to self-check with you. We have to have a self-checking attitude. We need to continuously walk in humility. And Lord, is there anything in my life that doesn't please you? But the issue is that I have, is I've got a neighbor opposite and next door, both sides. And I need to tell them the truth that they can come under mercy because right now they're under judgment. And God sincerely wants them to come under mercy. God doesn't have a problem with his judgment and the wrath of God. God doesn't have a problem with punishing wickedness. He does have a problem with us not inviting people to come under mercy. And it's our job. And it's sincerely sobering to think that, well, have we just been holding back the whole truth because we've been afraid it will frighten them off when actually they're dying off at the moment. And I just feel the invitation to the Lord, from the Lord to say, yes, meditate on my word, meditate on all the promises I've made you, but don't ignore the consequences of the curses. In other words, those who do not obey. Deuteronomy is full of it. Deuteronomy is full of all that God is saying. If you do this, I shall bless you and your enemy will come from one angle and they will scarper in seven different directions. And, you know, you will be the head, not the tail. You shall never borrow. You shall lend and all these wonderful things. But as most of us know, the blessings hinge on a very simple thing, and that is loving God and obeying his commandments. Now, how easily do we 
forget the Old Testament and we like put it aside. Oh no, we just live in the New Testament now and we ignore the consequences that God still feels very upset and angry towards sexual immorality. He feels very upset and angry towards stealing and lying. These little things that creep in. They can creep into our day-to-day and before you know it, it's like, oh, sorry, Lord, grace of God covers it. Yay, I'm okay. It's like, let's not be flippant with the blood of Jesus. Let's not be flippant. So the call is both to ourselves to really walk utterly in the light, to really confess things that we struggled with, that have been keeping us in darkness, to have no secrets, to really walk in the light. And to quit lying, to stop being friends with the enemies of God. And to truly, truly bear up to the truth and the whole truth of the salvation message. There would be no salvation if there wasn't something to be saved from. And we've got to be honest. There will be eternal punishment on those who do not acknowledge the Lord God. And you do not walk in his ways. It's not just an expression of words, is it? You know, we can easily come into being a place and then say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I confess my sins. Please forgive me. Please wash me with the blood of Jesus. Amen. Now I'm saved. Oh, I'm a Christian now. Now I'm a Christian. I'm saying this for all age groups. Bear with me. We can think we're a Christian just because we come to church on a Sunday. I'm really speaking to everybody, kids as well, really. You can think you're a Christian because you come to church on Sunday. No. Satanists sometimes go to church on a Sunday. Witches go to churches on Sundays because they want to cause mayhem. People come to churches on Sunday because they just want a bit of company. Nothing wrong with that. But let us all realize that being a Christian is not pitching up on church on a Sunday. It's truly loving God. And it's walking in his ways. And it's being obedient to what he's asked us to do. This is an exciting journey, kids and adults all alike. But to really understand that we mustn't shy away from the truth and the whole truth. Is that okay? Sorry if it's a bit dull and boring and sobering. But I just really feel that sometimes that we use Philippians 4 verse 8 as a I'm not listening, and I don't want to face some truths. Now, meditate. That's what it says. Meditate on all that is good, that is pleasing. Let's have another read of it. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are true, oh, not just the nice things, hang on a minute, or whatever things are noble, upright, whatever things are just, these are all things that are the nature of God, you know. Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So what we're saying, what the Lord is saying here, I believe, the Holy Spirit, you know, is don't let your mind get drawn into meditating on the horrendous things that are happening in this world. Obviously, don't meditate on those. That won't do us good. But be aware of them and bring them to the Lord so that our heart's cry would be the same heart's cry as Jesus's. 
that our prayer and our intercession would be fueled by his passion, and by his love and his concern, and not to be scared of the truth that there is eternal punishment, but God is inviting us out of the camp of judgment into his mercy. And that is the humongous privilege. So pray about it. Pray about how the Lord wants you to minister to others. And it's not going to be the same for everybody. Of course it's not. The Lord may want you to have a straight word with somebody, compelled by his love, because he sincerely loves that person and wants them to walk in freedom. He doesn't want them to walk in the chains of Satan. But we have a responsibility to understand and to convey it to our children and to pass it on. Is that all right? Is it? Yeah. Is it on? Yeah. yeah, can you hear me? I'm not going to go on. Don't worry. But uh, it says in uh, Deuteronomy. Seems like Hardy and I be into Deuteronomy. But do you know how many times it says in the Old Testament to fear God? 85 times. How many times does it tell you to fear the Lord? In the New Testament, mostly quoting out of the Old Testament, 55 times. I think the Lord is trying to say something there. Yeah, don't you? You know, when Jesus walked the earth, he didn't preach just about the kingdom of heaven. He told more people about the kingdom of darkness and of hell and what is happening than he spoke about heaven. I think God is trying to warn us because the consequences of us getting it wrong are horrendous and this is why we have to come under the blood of Jesus yeah. you know I haven't become a Christian to sign up to all the goodness of God you know if somebody had told me what Paul said if you want to know what, how it is what it is to serve the Lord look at Paul's statement Paul said I have been stoned three times shipwrecked three times I have been uh, beaten up I have been four times whipped 40 minus one 39 lashes you know and he goes on I've had I've been in you know, in absolute destitute, I've been poor, I've had nothing, you know, but I still will serve the Lord. You know, and it's not serving him because of what we can get out of it. It's serving him for his purposes, because there is something going to happen. And I just want to quote this. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you. Now listen to it. But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. That's great. That's fantastic. But it also says, if you love me, you'll obey me. We miss out that part, don't we? If you love me, you'll obey me. You'll obey, oh, I only want this, Lord. I only want this part of Christianity because this is really good and it's really nice, but I don't want any of the suffering or the trials or the tribulations. I don't want any of that. I just want your blessings, Lord. I just want to, you know, and, and I'm a little bit tired of it. when I, I can't watch God channel anymore. Can't watch it. I'm seeing some great men who I really respect 
going the ways of the world and giving out a nice talk because it increases the numbers. And if it increases the numbers, it increases the tithes. It increases, oh, you know, aren't we good? Look at all what we've got. But this is what Jesus says. I see you pitiful, poor, naked and blind. I counsel you, buy from me gold that's been refined in the fire. Who's he speaking about? Us. Us. Being refined through fire. Because we're going to go through fire. But guess what? Jesus is going to be in us and with us through that fire. Through the fire. But I want to follow him in all of his ways. I want to love him with all of his, my heart. I want to absolutely be almost that it's impossible for me to sin because I want to be like him. That's who he says that I can be. I want to be everything that he has told me that I can be. But I cannot do it without his mercy of grace on my life because I was the sinner of all sinners. The sinner of all sinners. And I deserved hell for an eternity. I deserved the fire for an eternity. But I've got the grace and the mercy of God on my life now through the blood. And I will preach that. I will preach that because what is the alternative? It's hell for an eternity. Didn't William Booth say, one of the greatest men on these shores, say, I wish I could drag these people to the edge of hell and let them stare in for one minute. I wish that God could drag some of us to the very fringes of hell and stare in for 30 seconds. It will transform our lives. We're going to have the fear of the Lord. We need it, we need it in this country. We need the fear of God. You spoke of two scriptures, Norman. Right. Fire and grace. Others might need it. You see, you see God, God, he has created all of us. There is, when it says that there, he holds the whole of the universe, the stars and the planets in his hand, I go, oh, that's my God. That's my daddy God. There's nothing impossible that he can't do. It's, he can do everything. But he is a God that is going to judge. He is a God that is going to say, if you fall me, then come in. I'll give you all the mercy through the blood. But if you're not for me, this is the consequences. This is where you're going. This is where you're headed to. You're headed for one of two places along one of two roads. And it's our choices. I want, I want to get hold of the youth. I want to get hold of the youth and shake them. Shake them with where they're headed. Shake them to where the, the possibilities of where some of us might end up. God forbid that would ever happen. God forbid that would ever happen. But we can lose our salvation. Just because we come to church every Sunday, just because we, you know, we pray, you know, we pray to the Lord and read our, our Bible, if we're not in it for the fullness of everything, then we're wasting our time. Listen to this. One of the greatest talks ever heard. If I was to say to you what happened in 1741, would anybody have an idea? 1741, one of the greatest sermons ever preached in New England that started the Great Awakening in America. 
The greatest sermon. You can go and read it. I've read it. <gasps> it wasn't a sermon full of love. But the result of it was the great awakening in New England by Jonathan Edwards. Do you know what, do you know what the title of that talk was? Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And we had, out of that talk, one of the greatest revivals that America had ever seen. Out of a sermon, sinners in the hands of an angry God. And he preached using these words. Out of Deuteronomy 32, 35, he says, Their foot shall slide in due time. What's he talking about? He was talking about a people that their foot is going to literally slide down into hell. Out of that long sermon, that long passage in Deuteronomy, that their foot is literally going to slide into hell. I don't want to lose any of you. But it's your choice. It's your choice. And you should be praying for your kids, mothers and dads. You need to be praying for our kids especially in this place, because they're going to have to make some really hard, I mean, really hard choices. I don't know if I can make the choices that these kids... I don't think I'm going to... Unless I have a loving mum and a loving dad or one or the other, or whatever it is, you know, to, to show them what the good way is. Because to give them everything they need now to make good choices. Because they're going to have to make a choice. Am I going to be promiscuous? Am I going to sleep around with many boys if you're a girl? Well, I don't know now. <laughs> I really don't know anymore. But am I going to do that or am I going to keep myself pure for my one and only? That's a choice every girl in this place who is not married has, has to make daily. Every choice. But this is what he said. The sermon was incredible. He got up and preached. But, but if you remember what happened 50 years ago, in, in, in 1694, what actually happened in New England, in Connecticut, where he preached this? Well, had, they had the Salem witch trials, where they literally put to the stake 20 witches. Over 150 people went to prison over these trials, the witch hunts. That's going to come back again. Not the prison and not the death. God's going to do it this time. God's going to judge the witches that have put curses onto you and curses onto me. But God is going to switch it and put blessings into our lives. We're fighting a fight. Do you realise that? Do you realise being in this church is not going to be easy for you? Do you realise that? It's not popular, this. You won't get this message preached in most pulpits. I promise you that. It's all what we're now seeker-sensitive, living a good life. No, what about the fear of the Lord? Because this is what happened when Jonathan Edwards preached this message. Do you know what literally happened? People started holding on to what was ever around them in the, in, in, in the church. They started holding on to chairs as literally they felt themselves being dragged down to hell. They literally felt it. You had people outside the church hanging on to gateposts because they could literally feel themselves sliding into hell. You had people hugging trees because they were sliding into hell. And you had the biggest revival that America has ever seen until Azusa Street. Out of sinners in the hands of an angry God. 
Jonathan Edwards preached that sermon two weeks later with no result. No result. No result. Why? Because the anointing was on that time. For that moment. And what worked two weeks ago doesn't necessarily work now. So we can never be set in our ways because there is revival coming. But with that revival will come purity. Purity. Purity in the way that we live our lives. And we have to be crucified with Christ and no longer live. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Not for you, for me. Why? Because it's personal to me, as it's got to be personal to you. So I want to ask the kids something. I I mean this. Where are you headed? I want to ask the young adults, where are you headed? Where are you headed? Because it says in my word that many are going to fall away. If it were possible, even the very elect would fall away. Out of what? What, what, what possibly could they fall away by being deceived? By being deceived by a seeker-friendly church? I'll call it out. They're going to be judged. They're going to be judged. Some of the biggest churches are going to come against us. You and me, for believing in what we dare to believe in. Chris Fallerton writes on a regular basis, if God is so loving, how can he judge so many people in China, and literally millions will die. That isn't the God that I know. He isn't, he isn't the God of judgment. Well, yes, he is. The Bible tells us. He is going to judge every unrighteous act that hasn't been covered in the blood of Jesus. So when you want to kick the cat, and you get into that time where you get angry, that will be judged. That will be judged. Unless it, does, unless it comes under the blood of Jesus and the grace of God, because I want the grace, sinners, in the hands of a God full of grace and love, when we have given our hearts to him with everything. With everything. You could be rebelling against church, and I don't blame you. I don't blame you, some of you, because most of us have rebelled against church, Yes. If you hadn't rebelled against church, you wouldn't be sat here now. You'd be nice, you'd be sat in a nice, comfortable church where you're having a tickle, you know, ooh, well, that was a lovely little feeling. Oh, that was a lovely song. Or was it? I don't, I don't, whoops, I don't really want to say too much more. Folks, what we did yesterday, we cannot be doing tomorrow. We cannot. Sin is sin. Because I am more concerned about where we're headed than I think I've ever been. You're back on. Um, I'm still back on. You unplugged yourself. Look at this scrappy. (laughs) Well, it's all this. Is Is that better? Yeah. You know... Just this, just this week, you know, I saw something that, like, this, this, is what, this is what I'm talking about, which makes me angry. Um, and 
Heidi and I were sat in our kitchen having a cup of coffee and just chatting. And our opposite neighbour was having a, a retaining wall built. And this young lady <laughs> bent over and exposed a builder's bottom like I've never seen before. And even Joshua said, Daddy, look at that. And I said, no, don't look at that. <laughs> you know, it, it was revealing more of her than, than, than any woman should. Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah. So swiftly moving on. But we watched something. Now, this lady that, that we have got to know over the last few years um, is, she has got cancer. And we've been praying for her. And uh, that cancer should have killed her a long time ago. But she's still with us. And she had the scan on Tuesday, and it's, it's not, it hasn't grown, but it, it, it hasn't got any worse. You know, why? Because we're praying for her. Because you've got two people opposite her that love her. And she's a, 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 a lovely, typical Yorkshire old lady. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare say old. I'd get slapped. I would. But we love her. And we watched this builder building a retaining wall. Now, I'm not a builder, but I could do a better job. And this wall, we watched it go for course after course, and it was getting more and more wonky as it was going up. And it, didn't, it met, literally, like that, in the middle. And I was saying to Heidi, Heidi, what are we going to do? Because I'm getting... <coughs> I want to go back and tear down that wall and say, get out. You know, so we, we text her daughter and said... The wall's not looking good, and I don't know, but apparently she came out, and we watched her come out and look at the wall, and I was saying, oh, right, she knows now about the wall, and it's not a good sight. But what we didn't know was that she didn't think the wall was that bad. She didn't notice it. Until the taxi driver came to pick her up to take her to the hospital. And he went to her and said, oh, who put up that wall? David Blunkett? He's blind. You know, and she said, oh, what's the matter with my wall? Then I went across that night and I said, Eileen, um, have you seen your wall? And so it results in that literally Heidi and I went along and took down the wall with, a with the help of a friend, our next door neighbor. We ripped down the wall and then got a chisel out and hacked out. Well, there wasn't any foundations. It was just laid out on soil and was going to charge her 600 pounds. That's injustice, isn't it? To, to, doesn't that make you angry? So let's, let's pray into some things like that. Lord, bring your justice into this situation. And this, so what we've done, and we're not trying to say, aren't we good Christians? We're doing it because it's an injustice. So we have gone to, I've gone to a builder, and I said, Tom, will you give me a quote? Will you give me a quote? Me and Heidi a quote for a decent wall. Because the wall was built. He didn't even take the retaining wall down. That was falling down. So if it had fallen down, it would have knocked the wall over. We took the wall down. There wasn't hardly any cement. He even used her stone to put a foundation down. There wasn't a foundation. That's injustice. In a simple situation, whereas we as Christians can put our hands in our pocket and say, do you know what? We will do it for you. We'll make sure a decent wall goes up. We'll make sure that you're not going to be out of pocket. We're going to make sure that by, by showing acts of kindness and of love, not because we want everyone to pass us on the back, 
But I want my daddy guard to say that is the right thing to do. Can I just add to that as well? The other aspect is that we know that she's quite a proud Yorkshire lady. Oh, yeah. And therefore, she wouldn't, she wouldn't, sorry, she wouldn't have it if um, she knew that we're going to pay for it. <laughs> we're going to be quite clever, aren't we? Yeah. And give her a very good quote. So you, you won't believe the quote the guy gave us. It's only going to cost you 80 quid. But anyway, yeah. So, so you know, it's just acts of kindness, but it came out of us looking at that wall saying, that's not right. That's injustice to an old lady who doesn't need this in her life, doesn't need this stuff in her life. But here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. Let's start living this life as if tomorrow is our last day. I'm not saying, I'm not, not saying, but let's live our lives for God. Every day of our lives for him, for Jesus, where there is no compromise. There is no this, I'm in it just for the things I can get out of it. I keep saying if, if, if it was just to get to heaven, then God would have had two, two things of the spirit. It'd be the evangelist and the assassin. Right, they're saved. In heaven you go. No, they're not saved. Well, they'll burn. You know. But this is, this is reality. This is the reality. And I want, to tell, I want to tell young people all about the goodness of God. But I, you know, but I want me to walk in a room like it was with Charles Finney where the fear of God just falls on the people. They don't need to be preached at. Many people in that great revival, the great awakening in 1741 of Jonathan Edwards weren't even preached to. But their lives were transformed by the fear of the Lord. But I never want to be a sinner in the hands of an angry God. Because he is going to get angry. Don't you think he feels a bit angry? I mean, I love, you know, the colours of the rainbow. I love it. Because they're God's colours. That's what he's got over his throne. Look what we've made it. A gay thing. And I hate the, I hate, I hate the word gay. But they've taken that emblem and proudly and boastfully saying this is ours now because the church has, has released it. Where are the Christians saying don't take something of my God and put it in the dirt like that? It is. It's totally disgusting. But don't, you know, he's nine years old and he's speaking it out. He's speaking it out. We've got to start calling it what exactly it is. Sin. And not be frightened about doing it. Not the person, but the actual act. It's sin. How they can get married in the church of God is beyond me. And how the religious leaders have allowed it to come into the church is beyond me. That's the fear. I'm, I'm, I'm like a Maccabee. Show me them. You know, you know, because it makes the Lord angry. He's furious. Getting married in the eyes, in my sight, in a church, having all this said on you, of something abhorrent. Do you think God agrees with that? He's angry. That is going to be judged. And do you know what? We'll be hated for saying this. Absolutely hated for saying it. But I'd rather I'm in fear of the Lord. I'd rather do and be pressed on because of what the Lord is saying in my life, what the Lord is doing. 
But let's start praying for this revival of the fear of the Lord and purity to come in. I'm tired, folks, as a teacher for almost 20 years of having to counsel young girls and young men who have given up something they should never have given up because of the pressure they have on their lives. That's why I chose, and I know that Barry and Camilla and <coughs> have chosen, to home educate our children. Because he is, in my life, the most precious thing that God has ever given to me with my wife. So why would I want to take this treasure that God has given me and put it into a world where it's going to get tainted? God doesn't exist. How do you know you're heterosexual? How do you know you're not gay? You know, oh, look at you. And it's, it's in our education system. I love it that they're naive. I love it that Josephine is at the age of 12, not like I see year sevens doing in school. Year sevens, 11-year-old. 11-year-old girls are losing their virginity in schools. 11 years old. It used to be in my day, 1718. Used to be, but it's come down. I've seen in 20 years of teaching where it was like most 14 and 15-year-olds. I'd say the majority, 60%, have had stuff, encounters with that. It's now down to 11 and 12 years old. Yeah, and young girls are now being counselled at the age of 24. Being counselled now. It's one of the, the most growing things happening in counselling is young girls are being counselled because of what they did they thought was normal. And it was absolutely not normal what they were put through. But where were the young men getting it? Internet? On their phones? Pornography? Sexual acts? Let's do it. Look. That's what they're doing. They're only enacting out what they're seeing. So I thank God. Yeah, I know, I know. I know but, but this is why we've got to pray for our kids. You know, our kids are such a special, precious thing. And some parents don't have the, the opportunity to, you know, home ed. That's why you need to pray for your child even more and make more of a stand of going to those schools and saying, you know what, my child isn't going to go to a mosque. Because do you know what they do? Do you know what, do you know what they do? Even a policeman has to do this. If he wants to go into a mosque, they have to cover their feet or take their shoes off. Why? Because that's submitting to Allah. It's an act of submission to Allah. Well, he's not my God. Do you see what I mean? So I'm not going to allow, you know, I wouldn't allow my child to go to a mosque. You know, yes, they can learn about, you know, what, what, the, what their beliefs are. And that's good too. So you know where they're coming from. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's totally true. But what we're told now, it's all right to do it. No, it's not. We're a Christian society, but yet we're holding on to our Christian heritage with the very fingernails of our hands. And it's up to us to pray it in. So, Father, I'm going to ask you, Lord, Lord, don't just stir our waters here. Lord, bring your storm into our water here. 
I pray, Father, will you come with the fear of the Lord first and foremost. That will rock our worlds. That will bring us closer to you than anything else of this world. And we pray, Lord, for our children in this place. We pray for every child. I pray for Joshua, for Josephine, for Wesley, for Thomas, for Ewan. Grace, faith. I pray for them now, Lord. Lord, that you will cover them now in your presence. That, Lord, that you will give them the truth of who you are. I pray, Lord, that they will have encounters with you that will deepen their faith, that they will love you and fear you with all of their hearts, that they will do what is right in your sight, no matter what the cost of this world. I pray, Lord, that they keep themselves absolutely pure and only separate for their wife or their husband to be. And Lord, I pray, let not the world taint them. But I pray, Lord, let the fear of the Lord fall on this nation. Lord, it is not a political party. It's not a person. It's you that will rock this nation. Lord, I pray, rock this nation out of the very pillars and foundations that were embedded into them by great men and great women of God that, Lord, that those spirits will rise up in this world, in this nation. That the spirits of John and Charles Wesley will arise up in this nation. The spirit of Ewan Roberts will rise up in this nation. But, Lord, where people were crying out to be forgiven. And, Lord, I pray, wake up this nation. Bring an awakening to this nation, Lord, like never before. Well, Lord, they will realise that they are sinners in the hands of an angry God and turn it round to being through grace and the blood of Jesus in the hands of a loving God who loves them and cares for them and cares where they end up. And I pray for that, Lord, now, for each and every one of us in our households, that we will build the foundation of our house on your word, the living word of God, the word of God that brings deliverance, the word of God <coughs> that brings holiness. The word of God that absolutely heals all sickness and all infirmity. Lord, that your spirit will dwell in our houses. That, Lord, that we will not have idols in our houses. That we won't make idols of anything else. But, Lord, we want you at the foundations of our house. But, Lord, we want you at the foundations of this house. So, Lord, I pray now for an underpinning of our foundations where it needs to be underpinned. Lord, to firm up our foundation that when the storms of this world come on these shores, that, Lord, it will not rock our foundation. That our foundation will be built upon the love and the fear of the Lord. And I thank you that, Father, you first loved us. You first loved us. And that this church is not a Sunday church, but it's a seven-day church. For you, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, out of two to, to one Peter, sorry, two Peter one, verse nine, which says that He has created us before the foundations of this world for for His purposes and not our own. Two Timothy one verse nine. For his purposes 
And I pray, Lord, uncover that hidden sin in our lives. Uncover it. Lord, that we can just get rid of it and come under mercy. Come under your grace. Come under the covering and the blood of Jesus. But I pray, Lord, let this church be known where the fear of the Lord resides. That, Lord, that we will see people walk through the very door of this church and fall under mercy and and not just judgment. That will fall out of the direction they were headed into your direction. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Can we make that our prayer for this church? That yes, it will be known as the Church of Miracles, as Bobby Connor said. But this church will be known as the fear of the Lord. Where people will literally walk in and cry out and scream out to be forgiven without having been preached at. That this whole area will be saturated with the fear of the Lord. That you, wherever you go, will be saturated with the fear of the Lord. That as you walk past, you'll have people just screaming out, Lord, forgive me, for I'm a sinner. Forgive me for what I've made. Forgive me for everything that I've done. I want that. As you're paying out the checkout, for the woman who you're giving your money or your card to, just starts crying, crying, and crying, and saying, I don't know what's the matter, but I just feel a fear of the Lord. And then you can preach to them. So they're not a sinner in the hands of an angry God. I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not apologizing for the message I brought and Heidi's brought, you know, because I want it to be sobering. I want us to get into a point where, you know, we need the fear of the Lord in this land, don't we? We don't need signs and wonders. We need the fear of the Lord. We have the fear and the love of the Lord. Everything else will follow. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And his righteousness. And everything else will be taken care of. Everything. So bless you. Listen, if you've got something hidden that you don't want exposed, apart from by the Holy Spirit, to you personally, allow him to do it. Allow him to do it. Because in the book of Revelations, it says that, the, that liars will have an eternity in hell. How many has told a white lie? How many told big lies? Right? Have you covered it with the blood of Jesus? Has it been forgiven? Do you, you know, and, but you know what I mean? It's, it's the little things that make the big things worse. So I just pray that we get to love the Lord with all of our hearts. You won't get many messages like this until we have the fear of the Lord come on us. But thank you for bearing up. Am I finished?